Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl and this is the end. This is part 21 of 21. It's a much longer episode again because I've got the end of chapter 13 which is that really long chapter at the end and the epilogue as well and there wasn't like a really good place to cut it because it all just kind of flows from this point onwards. So um, I just decided to give you a double length episode if you like. Um, so content warnings for this one are um, a lot of gore in obviously a homicidal context and a creature feature kind of context, some more insectoids and um, quite a lot of that interpersonal family drama. Uh, people are going to die in horrific ways and it's yeah it's all kind of downhill from here really. So be aware of that. That's all coming up for you. 13th, as usual, is All Rights Reserved, obviously. Um, the theme tune is by Gemma Cartmel. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. If you haven't read the books but you've enjoyed the podcast, you can still leave a review. Please do that on Goodreads or Storygraph or anywhere that the ebooks are sold on any platform that's absolutely fine and it will just really help me as well if you'd like to review the podcast you can do that too and it just um helps boost my visibility i guess so that um other people can find my stuff i am an indie author i don't have a marketing budget um so it's basically just word of mouth so reviews are really really helpful so that readers will um know whether or not this is for them. I think that's it. If you want to, you can still join my Kofi supporters for £3 a month. That tier is still open and you will get a load of extra material um, while you're waiting for the next book to come out. So that includes monthly letters from the characters in character um, and uh, the text of that is on Kofi as well as all of the other things um, that are available to my Kofi supporters such as um, the exclusive short story that's in the back of the hardback of The Crows which is a prequel and an episode from Ricky's childhood about how Gerald got his name and also the first time that Ricky meets Merlin. Uh, Merlin gets referenced a lot in this book. He's um, explicitly and kind of implicitly referenced he's um obliquely referenced to in the crows um twice uh ricky references the fact he doesn't trust the welsh or the, the power of the welsh and he doesn't like to speak welsh in case a mad bearded old bastard shows up and um, you sort of see why in that prequel that's in the back of the hardback copy of The Crows. And then in 13th, he references Merlin Silvestris and talks about how he won't be as good as Merlin. He doesn't think he's as good as Merlin. Um, he wants to be, but kind of isn't. Um, he also has the Crystal Cave moment in the previous episode, which is um, an episode from Merlin's uh, life. It's a reference to um, Mary Stewart and her book, The Crystal Cave. Um, it's also a reference to um, part of the legends around Merlin. Um, and it was, in fact, an entire episode of the BBC Merlin series called The Crystal Cave. And also, of course, um, Robert Nye's book, Merlin, where um, Merlin is trapped inside the Crystal Cave for the whole book. Um, and if you haven't read Robert Nye's Merlin, it's... Um, 
absolutely filthy and it's one of the ones where that I love and kind of where I got a lot of inspiration for Ricky's voice from. I think I lifted the vibe of one of the lines um, from the crows from it but my favourite line in the whole of that book is where uh, it's a line to signify demonic possession because obviously Merlin is the son of the devil and the story this is this is one of the legends of Merlin is that he's the son of the devil and a quick thinking nun baptised him on the way out thus restoring his free will and so he then set about using his powers to annoy the devil his father and God gave him the power of prophecy and it's not it like uh, a lot of uh, medieval chroniclers record this and uh, like Geoffrey of Monmouth um, and Geoffrey of Monmouth really isn't bothered despite being a churchman that Merlin has this kind of demonic antichrist almost antichrist um, kind of destiny that he has um, turned his back on like that's not important um, the prophecies of Merlin are what is important and I find the Merlin folklore really interesting, so I love that kind of interplay. So uh, the, one of the lines from Robert Nye's um, really dirty pornographic book called Merlin is um, Lucifer grinned, he grinned like a fox eating shit out of a wire brush. And I just absolutely love it. And then any character that is under demonic possession grins like that, and that's a repeated line. And like the closest I could come to that was, um, you know, Ricky grins sweet and dirty or something like, you know, and... and but I, I, I just love that vibe so much. And that's just one of the lines that I wish I'd written, you know. Um, but yes. <laughs> um, there's a small bonus ramble for you. This is the final part, part 21. And I hope that you enjoy it. Chapter 13, part 2, continued. We return to Wes's point of view. Katie was whimpering, but the whimper turned guttural, mutated and choked, then became a dog-like whine. Bones crunched and snapped. Something massive thudded down right in front of him, and the ground shook. He flinched, keeping his balance, cracking open one eye. An enormous claw tip was inches from his foot. He followed the claw back, expecting to see a paw. It looked more like a giant hoof, rounded like a horse's, with three more claws arching seamlessly out of it, irretractable. Hooves shouldn't have claws. He made the mistake of looking up. The forelimb went on for ever. His eyes watered as prickles of fear and adrenaline zipped through him. He could barely breathe. It was a giant hound, all right, but nothing like any hound he had ever seen. Oh, shit. It's still her. Ricky's voice was soft. He couldn't see him. The beast was in the way. The muzzle lowered, four petals of teeth parting like the trumpet of a flower to release a longer jaw from the back of the creature's throat. It sniffed Wes with this, its own scent oddly canine. Wes was certain that if he wasn't so dehydrated, he'd have wet himself by now. No sudden movements. No fear of that, Wes thought. He was clamped to the spot, terror in full vice-like control of his extremities. It didn't tear him apart. The jaw retracted. The petals filled up again. The beast lifted its head. Wes let himself breathe out a long, slow jet of pure delirium, 
Spots danced in front of his eyes from holding it for so long. He filled his lungs with the unnatural scent of the beast, and its long prehensile tail curled around its body, nearly poking him with the tip. Wes put out his hand, curiosity overcoming the numbing fear. The hide was rubbery, sleek, the way he imagined a seal would feel. He mentally added swim with seals to his bucket list, dolphins he'd already ticked off with no regrets. It wasn't quite like a dolphin. How does she turn back? he asked, wondering where all that flesh and bone could possibly go. Surely not back into the body of a seventeen-year-old girl. In answer to this, the beast began to shake itself. Wes jumped aside as, with a reptilian roar that ended in four coughing barks, the head split like a paper flower. It folded back on itself, regurgitating his sister's head and shoulders, collapsed like origami, the limbs folding up in a weird, twitching motion, the tail retracting until the whole gargantuan mass of it was no more than his sister's height and width. She unfurled her arms. For a moment the toothy petals of its maw the only thing remaining, like dragonfly wings. Then they too folded up, leaking out human skin in the way Ricky's form did, binding up tight into Katie's naked body, and leaving her almost exactly as she had been. "'Can I borrow your hoodie?' Katie asked Ricky, looking down at herself. She turned, self-conscious, and Wes covered his mouth to hide a wince. She was indeed exactly the same, would pass for human well enough, and the only visible addition was a vestigial tail, extending from the base of her spine. Well, that was all right. Surely she could wear skirts or something. That wasn't too bad. At least that was something she could explain to other people using normal human biology. He hoped she'd see it that way. Ricky tugged his stained hoodie off and handed it to her. You don't want that. It's... well... She took it anyway. It didn't cover everything. Wes rubbed his forehead. Is it... Are you going to be that big every time? Because... That's going to be problematic. He looked to Ricky for answers. How the hell did Hector get away with that and not have them call the army in? The vestigial tail extended as Katie's eyes grew wide, darting from one to the other. It curled up on high alert, several metres long, spikes of bone pushing through it at intervals, a sharp point on the end. Well, that was going to be a lot harder to explain. Ricky shook his head. Now nah, I'm sure she can manipulate the space she's in. And don't forget, everything's heightened because we're here. Like you. Look at you, pretty much a real person now. Wes rolled his eyes, but that stung. Ha ha. Ricky's eyes flicked to the bony extension. You got a tail, by the way. Katie twisted around on the spot to see it, resulting in a frantic puppy-like chase that Wes tried not to find hilarious. He clamped a hand to his mouth, shoulders shaking. You bastard! Katie was pink, pulling down the stained hoodie to hide her modesty, tail lashing in the air as she tried to get it under control. Stop laughing! I'll put you back on the list! This set Ricky off, sniggering as he caught Wes's eye. Seriously, I mean it! She concentrated, the pink tinge to her cheeks deepening to bright red, and the tail slowly retracted beneath the hoodie's hem. Don't laugh at me! God, I hate you both! Oi, we nearly broke our backs carrying you about. You weigh a bloody ton, Catherine! Screw you! Wes swallowed his amusement. Oh, come on, you look great, and a tail's pretty cool, isn't it? At least it's not that mess he's got going on over there. Ricky shot him a look. Wes shrugged. I think it's cute. I'm not cute. Katie was fighting a smile, he could tell. 
I'm the 13th and I want to go home. We've been here too long as it is. Who knows how much time has passed in our world? I've got exams and shit to do. That was music to Wes's ears. Oh, fuck yes. Yes, please. Let's go home. I'm starving, his sister complained. You need to increase your calorie intake, Ricky informed her, patting his bare midriff. Conserve more energy and protein helps. Dehydration had done wonders for his abs. Wes, now able to remember that he was a skinny streak of nothing compared to his cousin, experienced a pang of envy at the aesthetic outcome of a lifestyle he'd do anything to avoid. The little prick could even be attractive if he tried, or at least modified his bloody diet, and had a personality transplant. He was being petty again. Are you up to this? he asked, with a conscious effort to be supportive, as Ricky visibly steeled himself. The priests had dulled their chirping to a low background drone, like cicadas on a balmy Mediterranean evening. Ricky shrugged, studying the central slab for symbols. Can I help? Katie approached as Wes hung back. Possibly, but it's his bloody chaise long. Ricky curled his lip in Wes's direction, and Wes realised with a pang that Ricky, the family's new god, was jealous of him. He joined them in the centre. What are we looking for? I were hoping it's like the pendle stone, or we could at least use it to connect with it. Wes nodded. There were carved symbols all over it, and now that he was looking for them, he saw them plainly. They weren't like the ones Ricky had had tattooed on his arms, nor like the ones on the pendle stone, but they were similar to the glowing green things etched into the upright slab surrounding them. He cast a glance back at the arches in question, holding the priests at bay. The ones dragged in on Katie's trail of ooze were dissolving quietly, their legs twitching as they sank into deconstructionist oblivion. Yeah, I mean, there's all these symbols here, he said, tracing the ones on the slab with his fingertips. Can't you see them? Ricky blinked. I thought, yes, I see them, but... A vague expression came over his face. I... I must have forgotten they were there. A thrill chased up Wes's spine, but he feigned nonchalance. Ah, good. Makes me a bit less redundant. Hold on. This was his place. Everything was calibrated to him, to his frequency, energy, heartbeat, brain chemistry, whatever. He didn't care how it worked. It felt as if it all belonged to him, had been made especially for him. When he traced the symbols in their natural order, they glowed at his touch. He could awaken his seeds here, the little drops of forgotten image stored in the minds of others, be selective if he wanted. The symbols could show him how. He could have his own cult. Really be someone. Not have to harm anyone he cared about. Was there a way of reversing it? Perhaps, if he explored this place thoroughly, learned all its secrets, took his time. He didn't need to go back yet, not if he controlled the portal this side. The horizontal slab began to hum, vibrate under his fingertips. His image began to break down as it did so, separating into layers again, some visible, others flickering in and out of existence and memory. He wasn't flesh at all, that was all illusion, there was nothing to him, only flat slices of persona, giving the impression of three-dimensionality. What was he? He could only learn that here. Yes, the voice intoned in his head. Stay here, Wesley. You will learn. Make us stronger. Open the portal for us. Wes paused. His layers wobbled. Awaken your drones. Spread your madness. Yeah, you know what? Wes said aloud, feeling the tug of the pendle stone the other side, symbols connecting. 
Mr. Wenshaw Foreman, whatever he is, is a right piece of work. Ricky snorted. He in your head? Oh, that creepy voice. Katie folded her arms. The one that keeps telling me to prune the tree all the time. Where's Winst? Oh, lovely. Yeah. I mean, probably the same. Can we go home now? Katie shuddered, glancing over her shoulder. Those things are creeping me out. Where's chance to glance behind them? The priests had grown completely silent. Their equine snouts sniffed at the air, insect legs twitching, wings folded back. What did you say they called themselves? he asked, thinking it had been onomatopoeic. The click. Yeah, almost. Click. Click. No, you're not listening. I am listening. No, you have to scrape your throat, but not really scrape it. Click. Like that. That's that's what I said. That's not... Click. Ricky interrupted, getting it right first time. There's a glottal stop. Could you open the portal, please? Stop pissing about. Wes concentrated, the pointless bickering a welcome distraction from the madness-inducing powers he possessed, almost forgetting even the voice in his head, and the slab shimmered as the connection was made. She taught you to say please, has she? he asked, meaning Carrie. Cor, even Gran couldn't get you to say that. I got manners, Ricky said, affronted. Boys! Katie tugged the hoodie as low as it would go. For God's sake, I'm fucking naked. Can we please just get home? The ground shook, rocking Wes nearly off his feet. Ricky's knees buckled and he dropped to the ground, wincing. Katie stumbled back. What now? It rose over the arches of the circle, although how they had been oblivious to its approach, Wes couldn't fathom. So this was him, then. He knew it instinctively, recognised the family resemblance. This was Mr. Wend, or what great-auntie Olive Spawn called Mr. Shaw, and what great-auntie Eileen Spawn called Mr. Foreman. How on earth could something that big sneak up on them? It must have slithered here, scaled body wet and gleaming, swelling bulbously as it dragged itself upright. Was this the form he always took? No, not always, surely. Was this to keep them awed and cowed? He took it for a bigger version of Ricky's other form at first, all eyes and coils in its nether portions, but as it rose up over the arches, its great forelimbs draped over the stones like a... What the fuck is that supposed to be? It's like a... like a squid fucked a dragon. Katie was far from awed or cowed. Where's swelled with pride he had no right to feel. Tell me, that's not... It's not. No way. How did... How did Gran spawn with... No... All right, Grandad. Ricky got up, shaking. It wasn't fear. Wes saw pain scudding over his face, tight and drawn. It is good that the triad are here. Wes glanced at the others to make sure they were hearing this too. Katie's eyes narrowed. The triad, as in, like, drug dealers and gangsters? Wes shook his head. No, uh, I think he just means the three of us. My spawn should have populated the world by now, opened the portal fully, let us take more worlds than this. Well, like I said, Grandad, if that's what you wanted, you should have picked someone who actually gave a shit. Ricky was getting his swagger back, but the veneer was tracing paper thin. Not three girls whose sole ambition in life was marrying up and winning first prize at the local fete. We have waited a long time for this. Now the triad will help us rise. Wes rolled his eyes. Why in the ever-loving fuck would we do that? Am I talking to my bleeding self? Ricky was breathing harder, scowling. I told you no. Let me through. Hang on. Katie took a step back. You... you can't do anything without us. Have I got that right? 
there was a great rumble from within the belly of their sire, which they took as audible assent. So, what good are you? Katie frowned. Like, you managed to impregnate Granny Wend and her sisters like a hundred years ago or something, so you must have been able to do something once, and all you've done since then is leave us to it. She licked her lips. I have a lot of questions. Your spawn bearers summoned me as they should, as they were prompted, but they did not fulfil their end of the bargain. I have been waiting, bestowing glory upon glory on my progeny, waiting for the triad to rise. Unseal the door, let me through. Your world is my right. Bugger that, Ricky muttered loud enough for Wes to hear him. I want my bleeding rights first before you come marching in. Wes rolled his eyes. Katie stepped forward, staring up at the blinking eyes peppering the overlapping scales. Excuse me? You're right? Who the hell do you think you are? She squared her shoulders. I wanted to go to uni, not kill my own relatives, but here we fucking are, I guess. So, so screw you. I want to go backpacking and see stuff, and I want my friends and driving lessons. You don't get to just... Uh, Katie? Wes tried to catch her arm, but she shrugged him off. Get off me. I'm not a child. She glared at their looming sire with a face full of hate. He's not doing anything. What's he going to do? If he's going to do anything, he'd have done it by now. But he can't. She punched Wes in the arm. Come on, let's go. The rage of their grandsire rolled over them like a tidal wave, forcing them to the ground beneath its booming power. Let me through. Wes dropped to his knees, clutching his head. But this was his place, made for him. He thought of Charlie and Hugo and the life they hadn't had time to live yet and all the things they still wanted to do. He straightened up, pushing past the pain, gritting his teeth. He regained concentration and the shimmering around the slab got stronger. He turned and saw Ricky hanging back, that shifty, sulky look on his face. Katie saw it too, gave an impatient huff and marched over to grab him by the elbow. Don't even think about it. I need you to teach me stuff. And you're going to show me how to actually use those eyeballs properly. Ricky let her shove him at the slab, but gave Grandad the middle finger before he went through. She hung back. Wes, come on. Wes took one last look around the stone circle, the priests and their silent swarm, the power he could wield if he learned how. The voice was softer, probing his weaknesses, burrowing into his brain. Stay. Take your place here. Wes sighed. He would make a wonderful cult leader. Well, maybe one day. Today he was being a responsible adult. He turned to Katie and took her hand. Let's go home. She beamed at him. The ground shook with their progenitor's fury. No! Let me through! Wes winced and pushed his sister through the shimmering haze. Oh, do piss off, Grandad. He stepped through himself and the world flipped upside down. Epilogue The Tempest What's past is prologue. William Shakespeare, The Tempest 16th of January he peeled his eyes open, head fogged and pounding. Neither mouth was comfortable, the back was glued with dried mucus while his tongue was thick and dry. Sunlight lanced into his skull like a scalpel. Morning! She smelled like warm boards and sun-baked brick, fresh dew on clinging ivy. He was home. Ricky covered his face, trying to figure out where he was. The room was still unfocused. Fuck me. 
He flung out an arm, disorientated, and hit the mattress. Oh, shit. He struggled halfway into a sitting position, but his belly lurched and he thought better of it. Why'd you let me? What did I do? He'd forgotten she hadn't been there to stop him. Nothing. She was close, but he couldn't get a fix on her. Ricky groaned into the pillow. I'll kill that bloody Wesley. He might have pushed you in, but you did this to yourself. The mattress compressed as she sat down beside him and rubbed his back. He belched up flavours he didn't remember consuming. What the fuck was I drinking? You weren't. He lifted his head with difficulty, since it was apparently crammed full of lead weights. Is this... bloody hell, I don't remember much. He was naked, the way he preferred to sleep, but back in his drinking days he'd invariably woken fully clothed. Relief smacked him in the gut. He always slept naked, it wasn't unusual. He was home. He was home. Everything was normal, and he was home. Thank fuck for that. His memory was honeycombed with gaps. Where is he? Carrie lay down beside him and put her arm around him. The reassuring weight of her filled him with a deep sense of restfulness. That was disturbing. Worse, he didn't mind. Leave him be for now, she advised, and he shifted sullenly against her, trying to unwind the thread of events. Anyway, he went back to London. He needed to see his partners. She stroked his back. What happened in there? He blinked, wincing with another stab of daylight falling through the chinks in the curtains. Light burned his eyes like twinkling crystal. I can't think now, love. Tell you later. Another thought, or a half-formed realisation, flashed through his head in a razor-edged ribbon before he could fully grasp hold of it. Ship me. Catherine. He used Carrie to pull himself up. Where's she gone? Catherine. Carrie pushed him off her. Out, I think. Yeah, out where, did she say? Shit. He was remembering. Bits and pieces swam back into murky focus. Catherine, that scorpion tail extending over her head in a curved fan. Bloody hell, I can't think. The world spun, fragments of the beast twisting through angles of time and into his brain. Getting up took three tries, and when he was upright, he wished he wasn't. He sat back on the bed, trying to force his thoughts to cooperate. Um, is she... what did she say? It's starting, isn't it? She's... has she gone? Where's she gone? But he knew that. He leaned back against her. She's going to start it, he said, remembering the dreams of the beast, the pictures inside the crystalline web. She's starting the cull. Well, isn't that the point? Carrie was solid, warm. He rested his full weight against her, too tired to hold himself up. What are you going to do about it? He paused, frowning. He didn't know. I mean... Carrie went on, pulling him back down and arranging his pillows. It isn't like you're on the list. She had a point. Ricky grunted, swung his legs back onto the mattress and settled back down. It's just, you know, she's never done this before. She killed you. Oh, right, yeah. But not for good, you know. She's not... This is a big moment. Don't you think I should be there? Carrie stroked his close-shaved hair. Her touch soothed him with its intoxicating corruption. She had no right to do that, to make him feel like he belonged there, but he wanted to believe it so badly in that moment that he closed his eyes and let her. I think she snuck out this morning so that she could do this by herself. She paused. You do belong here. The Pendlestone is a part of me, and so are you now, 
in a way. You know that, don't you? That hurt. He wasn't expecting that to hurt. It wasn't the kind of pain he minded. He grunted, swallowing hard and sidestepping the question the way she did, answering it with another one. Do you think she'll come back? Her hand on his head was gentle and rhythmic, lulling him into a groggy stupor. Her voice was soft and far away. Yes. She asked when dinner was, so... When is dinner? He didn't know what time it was now. He hugged the biggest pillow into his chest and his head sank into the softer pile of goose down forever. He was asleep before she replied. Epilogue Part 2 Wes called in on Ricky's parents before he headed back to London. It was his mum's birthday, but he couldn't face her. He didn't want to be within ten feet of his father. He certainly couldn't explain to his siblings that he'd basically let Katie loose. That was all out of his hands now. The question of whether or not he was fit to drive was moot, since he'd checked in with a silver lining and not seen any crashes in his future. Probably best if he didn't mention to Ricky he was still taking them. There was only one left now anyway, and it seemed better than letting them go to waste. He parked up in a lay-by and walked back through the chase, cursing the undergrowth and mud. Uncle George and Auntie Letty lived in Bramble Cottage, a dilapidated shell in the woods with no electricity or running water. Lived was a loose term. Existed was more accurate. The fly-tipped appliances in the garden and tangles of brambles were not the best for Italian leather, and Wes's silk scarf snagged on a twig. "'He ain't here,' Uncle George growled, answering the door in his string vest. He leaned back, fishing the dog end out from behind his ear and taking a long drag. It burned all the way down to his tarry fingers. Wes nodded. "'No, it was you I wanted.' "'That's so?' "'Saw you in town the other day. Week. Whatever. You were hanging back.' Wes cocked his head. "'Didn't get too close when our lot were trying to grab Katie, did you? Don't blame you, really. I wondered if it was because you were scared of our thirteenth, which would be sensible.' "'But it's him you're afraid of, isn't it?' Ricky's father snorted and flicked ash all over Wes's coat. Wes dusted off his brooch. "'But he's not keen on seeing you, either, is he? "'I'm here to find out why.' Uncle George sniffed, nostrils flaring. "'Better ask the old woman.' Wes nodded. "'Auntie Letty's in, is she?' Bramble Cottage reeked of death. When Ricky had lived there, he kept it better than that, but Uncle George had apparently not bothered to clean for eight months.' "'Coming in, are you?' his uncle stepped back from the door. "'You in your fancy shoes?' Wes shook his head. "'I don't think so. I think you're going to take a good look at my face.' He unwound the scarf, and Uncle George scoffed, used to his nephew's forgettable features. Wes's confidence was silver-edged, green symbols dancing in his head. Uncle George's expression altered. There was a moment where his mouth grew slack, his eyes dulling with a vacant glaze. Wes grinned sharp and hard in a way he hadn't grinned for quite some time. I'd make a brilliant cult leader. He patted his uncle on the cheek. Hey, Uncle George, go and get me whatever it is you've got squirrelled away in there for dealing with your boy, hey? He wasn't sure what the symbols meant, but he could go back to the circle and find out. He could learn a lot from the monoliths, maybe even a way to fix Charlie. Something told him Ricky wasn't going to like him opening the portal. He needed a bit of insurance. Silver threads wove around his thoughts and turned them towards action. He chanted something under his breath and didn't know what the words meant, only that he remembered what they sounded like. 
remembered forwards, that is. He hadn't learned them yet, but he was going to. Uncle George backed off and Wes's face buzzed, vibrating around the chant. The words he didn't yet understand reverberated against his teeth. His uncle moved like a marionette, losing conscious control of his form. His limbs grew, extended, many-jointed shadows tipped with solid claws. He scuttled like a stilted spider. Wes covered his face back up. Silver certainty flooded him, reassuring. It was good to feel certain of something. It made him stronger. He needed a purpose. No, a direction. He already had a purpose. Charlie and Hugo were enough. He told himself that over and over until it replaced the chant and he could believe it. Here, his uncle returned with a jar, hoarse voice, dreamy and distant. Granny Wend made it for us. There's a little left. It weakens him, but he's a slippery bastard. Yeah, I know. Wes paused. You haven't given this to anyone else? Uncle George scoffed. Nah, never know when we might need it. His face clouded as he stared at the jar, as if he wasn't sure he was doing the right thing. Wes took it from him before his influence could wear off. This trick didn't last as long as he wanted, but it lasted long enough, and if it worked once, he could do it again. Except he couldn't remember the bloody words. He backed away, the silver trails wearing off, symbols slipping out of reach. Why was his memory so shit on its own? That'll probably be the drugs, you stupid bastard. He turned, wasting no time, and jogged as fast as he could back to the car, wrecking his shoes and stumbling through the trees. He could get another pair. He tossed the jar onto the passenger seat and sped off, fixing his scattered thoughts on his partners and the life he was going to build with them. He would go back to the outside one day soon, learn what he needed and fix those symbols in his head without the need for pills. If Ricky didn't want him to go back or gave him shit for it, he could neutralise him for a while. He picked up speed. Right now he wanted to put as much distance between himself and Pagamon Sea as he could. He had seen what was going to happen and it made him sick to his stomach. Epilogue, Part 3 Katie wondered what sort of transport would suit her best. Maybe a motorbike. Probably not the bus, but that was what she had. Her tail was uncomfortable to sit on unless she sat just right and kept her posture. Gran would be proud. She sat upright all the way home. Her old home. She had a new one now. The bus lurched through morning traffic and Katie stared into the opaque, misted window, daydreaming about reinventing herself. Everyone cut their hair short to be badass, didn't they? But she liked hers long. She could dye it. She twirled a strand around her finger, imagining herself with tight, lacquered curls, maybe purple and green, but that might look too cartoony. The bus was taking forever. She definitely needed a bike. Katie wondered about getting another job to afford one, and then remembered Ricky could just earn her the money in an afternoon at the betting shop. Or maybe Wes would lend her some. Wes probably had a garage somewhere full of bikes and cars he wasn't even using. She got off at her old stop and adjusted her skirt so the hem skimmed her knees. The cold pricked her legs an icy blue, but she didn't feel it. Her tail stub tingled, the wicked point itching to be released. Petals of other flesh rippled inside her, aching to open up and devour. The beast could smell its kin, and it was hungry. The detached house was quieter now most of the kids had left home. 
It looked like all the others in the street, in need of paint and attention, a newer build on the edge of the industrial estate. Katie's dad had a storage unit there, his retreat from the family and the world, where his girls ended up. His car was here, though, so he was probably at home. Good. She tugged the hem of her skirt automatically and adjusted her jacket collar. What am I doing? she asked herself out loud. It wasn't as if they were going to survive their disappointment. Right. She checked the street, but no one was around. It wouldn't matter if there was. It was her mum's birthday. She'd be inside, grousing about no one turning up for it, although she said all year she didn't want to do anything. Her dad would be in the living room, silent as a stone. She fished in her pocket for her keys, but as she was unlocking the door it opened with a hard yank. Katie looked up at the looming figure of Ian Porter, lanky and grim, the outline of his second set of jaws bobbing in his throat like a deformed Adam's apple. "'Where the hell have you been?' he demanded, the most he'd said to her in months if you didn't count curb-crawling and yelling her name. Katie shrugged. "'Around. Where's a soothsayer?' Her dad looked up and down the street. "'Come on your own, have you? Seen sense?' Katie nodded. I hated it. I just wanted to come home, but he wouldn't let me. I wanted to try Uncle Barry's thing. I'm sorry. I don't want to change. Rachel was better at fake crying than she was, but she thought her performance was pretty good for a start. It got him to step back from the door. He jerked his head down the hall. Your mother's in there. Who is it? Lottie Porter, breathy and shrill, appeared out of the dining room. When she saw her youngest child, she stopped, and her face fell and twisted. Oh, I'm back, Mum, Katie said, trying not to let the tightening in her chest distract her. Was this how Ricky felt all the time? She hadn't ever considered that. She'd always let herself be dragged around, never thought about how they treat her with Gran gone, never thought she would know what it was like to see nothing but disappointment and fear on her mother's face after time away. Katie swallowed, digging her nails sharply into her palms, but that wasn't the release or relief she needed. The beast inside her was poised to unfurl. The walls were bending a little around her, making room. Her dad must have felt it, because as she closed the door behind her, he backed off. "'Where have you been?' her mother asked. She had something in her hand, but Katie didn't get a good look before her dad obscured the view. There was a clumsy handoff behind his back, and she hesitated. "'Um, I just, you know, did what Ricky said,' she shrugged. Her mother took her in. What are you wearing? Clothes, Mum. Katie's tail flicked out and in again, readying. Her dad's face clouded. Everything about him radiated tension. She wasn't quick enough when he lunged at her. She was never going to be quick enough. He'd practised this a thousand times on girls who looked like her, and when he stabbed her, the knife slid in cold between her ribs and the blood soaked through her top. She shouldn't have worn cream. He ripped it out. The wound didn't hurt. It just tingled. She pressed a faltering hand to it, unsure what to do. A slow, sneering smile split her dad's face in two. Fear spiked her stomach. She hadn't expected that. Shit, shit, shit. She stumbled back down the hall, staring at her dad's twisted, mirthless smile. She got a few paces back to the door and stopped. It should hurt. She couldn't feel anything. The beast stirred, unperturbed. 
her tail released fully, squeezing out in the narrow hall with each armoured segment clicking as it telescoped into the killing point. The changing expressions on her parents' faces gave her life. She pulled herself together and gave her mum a thin smile. Nice try. She stabbed down, impaling Lottie Porter through the head. Her mother split apart, silenced forever, spurting gore. A swing of the tail on her mother's body crunched against the stairs. Katie's glutes ached, sinews stretching and twanging with the weight of her mother and the thrashing tail, but she wasn't sick. She didn't even feel nauseous. She didn't feel anything. She tugged her tail free, retracting it to curl above her head like an angry scorpion. Katie glanced in the blood-flecked hall mirror and tried to wipe a splat off her nose, but got it all over her face. The mess of blood and bone and viscera reminded her of Gran's cottage that night a million lifetimes ago. She regarded the broken, ruptured body with a rueful smile. No worries, Mum. I'll grab my clothes in a sec once I've had a shower. Her dad had backed up into the living room and clearly thought he could defend himself better in there where he could control the dimensions of the space. What a fool, thought the beast that was Katie, and flesh flopped wetly into petals of invulnerable glory, bone crunched and lengthened, claws sprouted from great unstoppable fused feet. She hunted through the dimensions of space. She could stalk through the angles of time. She could give chase inexorably forever, and there was nothing they could do to her in return. A living room wasn't much of a battleground. Katie shook the scraps of humanity off her beautiful hide and let it splatter onto the carpet dozens of feet below. The door became large enough to admit her, everything skewed and bending to her will. Her father couldn't fight back. None of them could. And if Katie Porter was the last person seen entering this house of death and nightmares, they would find Katie Porter's skin mingled with her mother's. That might make college a bit tricky this term, but she'd figure something out. The beast that was Katie sniffed out the desperate pheromones of Ian Porter and saw him for what he was. It swiped him into the air with one bat of its thick tail, jaws open wide, and he burst between the petals of her fang-lined muzzle like a piece of rotten fruit. Like a yoghurt bubble in one of those teas, the beast that was Katie thought, gulping down the fractured cartilage and bone, the strips of flesh coming away like pulled pork as she raised her head and let him slide down her throat in pieces. Who's next? There was the tug of the list, and some of them were still on there, but the tug was towards her siblings. Towards Wes, the oldest of them, and the beast that was Katie overrode this instinct with a shudder. Not him. The tug was not irresistible, and it eased off. Who's next? Katie pulled back into herself, folding up her great body like origami, a naked, slick butterfly with new human skin emerging from the ooze of the engorged flower. The rooms went back to their normal sizes. Blood and gore soaked into the furniture, splattered the TV, and was sprayed over the walls. She was a messy eater. Her mother was lying in a bloody, shattered heap on the stairs, head and chest split in two down the middle, arms and legs at unnatural angles. Her own old skin and hair lay in a ruined heap with the rags of her clothes, slippery and grotesque. Sorry for the mess, she told her parents. I'll just get my stuff. She realised she was now naked and used the banister to vault over her mother's corpse and run up to her old bedroom to towel herself off and get dressed. Her mum always kept spare cash for the window cleaner and food shopping in a tin in her bedroom. 
Katie peered in, but thought she'd better shower before she traipsed this mess all over her mum's clean carpet. I'll clean up as well, she called downstairs to the globs of flesh. You don't want all this hanging around. Oh, and if anyone touches my cousin, they're dead meat. She giggled into her wardrobe, picking out an outfit suitable for the bus ride home. Downstairs, the front door opened. Katie stiffened, listening. Mum! Happy birth! Oh, fuck! Her siblings' voices, raised in chorus, stopped abruptly. She heard Liam whistle through his teeth. Holy shit! The beast growled in her belly, still hungry. Katie bit her lip, dropped her clothes on her bed, and sauntered to the top of the stairs. Hi, guys, she said as her siblings looked up at her in uncharacteristic silence. She drank in their paling faces, their collective and individual fear, and let it intoxicate her. She could do anything. Time's up! And the beast unfurled. Well, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. Season two is done. Um, I really hope you did enjoy it. And um, if you do want to leave a review of the book, please do that on um, Goodreads or Storygraph or Amazon or anywhere that ebooks are sold. And um, that would be fantastic. In the meantime, hope to see you on Kofi or on Twitter. If you want to follow my Twitter at CMRosens for updates, um, you can also sign up to my newsletter. There's a link right on my profile that you can click and sign up to by email. Um, I send out emails like once a month so you can get updates and you can get um, exclusive discount codes and things like that that way and the newsletter is free to subscribe to so if you want to keep updated you can do that and i will see you again at some point in the future <laughs> bye now